Today's podcast is brought to you by TheEngagedInvestor.ca, helping you find and present to joint venture partners. Get your free video training right now at EngagedInvestor.ca forward slash breakthrough. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 26. Hello, and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and Sandy is not here with me tonight. I'm just going to introduce a bonus episode that we've put together for you. So first, I want to remind everybody to go to iTunes and rate and review the show. And check out our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, you can reach us at info at BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. Also, if you want to be a guest on the show or you know somebody that you think would be a good guest on the show, hit us up there too and we will uh, try and work something out. So this is a bonus episode, like I said. It's a webinar that I did with Gary Hibbert from Smart Home Choice on wholesaling houses. And I think there's a lot of valuable content out there for those who are looking for private deals. And hey, everybody's looking for private deals. So there's some little bits of info here for everyone. So enjoy. And thank you for having me on the call, Gary. It was nice of you to invite me on tonight. No problem. Okay, so I guess what I want to do here is before we start, just with a quick introduction, I'll go through a couple of the things that Gary just said. And first off, I want to say that I am not a lawyer, and I'm just simply sharing my experience with wholesaling and the things that have worked for me. So if you're thinking about getting involved with something like this yourself, consult a lawyer and uh, find out what the proper procedures are. I've been wholesaling for just over the past two years. I did my first deal closed in, actually, yeah, I guess right about right around two years ago. I own four rental duplexes in Oshawa. One is a student rental, and that's a lot of fun. We won't talk about that tonight, though. And I've just recently completed two buy, fix, refinance, and rent deals with joint venture partners where we uh, where we put in a basement suite and legalized it with the city and then just hung on to it for a great cash flow. And then, and then Rob, just the, the point of the difference between the, the rental, like the duplexes that you have and the student rental, what, what do you normally see, you know, in regards to cash flow differences? Oh, right. Well, the student rental definitely makes a little bit more money, but there's a lot more there's a lot more management that goes on with the student rental. Probably, it probably averages about $300 more a month than the other ones do, I would say, okay. roughly. So, yeah, yeah, no, maybe a little more, maybe a little more than that even. For the student but rental? It's not, I will tell you, it's not my favorite thing to do. And I'm, and I'm in the process of actually selling that student rental right now. 
because uh, I'm in a good market to sell. So that's what I'm going to do with that one. Okay, and is that in Oshawa as well? It is. Yep. Okay. It's it's near the downtown uh, UOIT campus. Okay. And I've done one straight fix and flip project where it was a full gut renovation. We ripped out the entire house and redid it and sold it, and that worked out well too. Ah, and like Gary said, I am one of the hosts of the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, which you can find for free on iTunes. And we have um, interviews and tips from all kinds of different people in real estate, in the real estate world. I think we have, or on Friday, I believe, we'll have 24 or maybe 25 episodes out. So they come out every month, and I encourage everyone to go check them out. We have a lot of fun, too, on the show. And I know we did a good interview with Gary about a year ago, I guess, wasn't it? Has it been that long already? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah believe so. it or not. You were you were one of the first ones. I think you were episode six or seven, somewhere right in around there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was really informative, and we had a good time. So everyone should go check that out if they want to hear more from Gary too, because he did most of talking on that one. So <laughs> uh, let's see. But yeah, if you guys haven't listened to any of those uh, those podcasts that uh, Rob and Sandy do, they're, they're fantastic. So definitely check them out. Thank you. So the idea of wholesaling is to find an undervalued property and put it under contract. And when I say put it under contract, that just means to get the seller to sign a purchase and sale agreement for that property. And that allows you to then go ahead and market that property to another investor who can either buy it to fix it up themselves or depending on what kind of people you're trying to uh, cater to, they might just hold it to rent or whatever. But that's the idea, just get the property under contract and then once you have that contract, this is a very important part too, once you have that contract, then you can market it. And that's the difference between being a wholesaler and a real estate agent. A real estate agent has no, well, they have no equitable interest in the property. Whereas in order for someone without a real estate license to be able to market these properties like we do, you have to have a purchase and sale agreement on that property. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. Right. And, and I think that's where I think some people get confused with the wholesaling part, right? Where they say, well, is it illegal or is it legal? And so I think you pointed that, um, that part out really well. Yeah, I guess it's illegal if you just, if you just, you can't really test the market without, you know, you can't just say, well, I know this person wants to sell. Let me just put it out there and see what kind of response I get before I go and, and lock it up. So you can't do that. You can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you do things that way. You've got to, you've got to really know that it's a good deal and it's something that you, you, that you can probably sell to somebody else and get that contract before you go out and, uh, and try to market it to other people. You can do this with, I shouldn't say no money. But you can do it with no credit. They don't check your credit to do uh, wholesaling. And you can do it with very little money. And the things that are going to cost you money up front are basically your marketing, your advertising to your buyers and sellers. Not so much, I guess, the buyers, but sellers to buy bandit signs and possibly purchase lists, which is something, well, I shouldn't say I haven't done it, but it's very rare that you're going to find a good list. 
anyway, and if somebody does find a good list to market to for uh, properties, like if somebody can figure out how to get a list of abandoned houses or tax lien houses or anything like that, let me know because I'll, I'll buy it from you right away. Now, now um, you hear a lot of those uh, infomercials and all that talk about these lists. Like, like, is it really difficult to get those lists? Well, around here it is. Like, you can get you can get the information, but to get a compiled list is the difficult part. Like, because of the Freedom of Information Act, you can get most information that you want on individual places. If you've got specific properties you want to know about, it's not hard to get the information on those, but in order to compile a real list that's gonna that's going to get you some results that's the difficult part like, it's pretty easy to go and find out like, you, can, you can find out pretty much anything you want to know about a specific property if you have a specific question because of the Freedom of Information Act but to get the list is the difficult part um, you're gonna need a phone service so eVoice or Grasshopper and I use both of these services and they're both good Either one of them is fine. I use eVoice for my wholesaling grasshopper for the uh, property management company. So that costs a bit of money every month. And then there's going to be lots of paper, lots of ink, lots of envelopes and stamps. Stamps are the big kicker because they, uh, I mean, if you're putting out a good amount of letters to get some reasonable replies, then you're going to be spending some money on those things gas to drive around and look for properties and of course your time because time is money too right right Gary that's right these people that want to get you to sh do you have people that uh, get you to show them houses and then they go out and use their buddy as a real estate agent because they didn't want to like bug him during dinner time to show it <laughs> yeah you just have to know how to ask the right questions right so yeah when I first started doing it for sure but uh, I'm a little bit more experienced now, so it doesn't happen as often. But uh, we right. still we still get them from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is my <laughs> this is pretty funny. This is my first purchase and sale agreement that I used for my very first wholesale deal. It's a one-page purchase and sale agreement. You can see we bought the place for a whopping sixty-one thousand dollars, and I put. $100 in cash. I paid it just out of my pocket to the seller, which I mean, for I wouldn't recommend, but for $100, it wasn't, uh, to get the deal and possibly lose $100 wasn't anything I was too concerned with, so I gave it straight to the seller in cash, and we got the deal done. There it says right there, we closed it May 9th, 2013, so that was just over two years ago, and I made four grand on that one, my first one. So there it is there. And okay, so down here, I just wanted to point out, and like I said to Gary when we were talking about this before, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here because I don't do this anymore, but it's probably a good idea to have some kind of an out clause in your contract. So this one right here the out clause is this subject is contingent on clear title and is subject to my partner's approval which really is a way for you to just say look my partner had a look at this and and he's not interested in moving forward with it it's just a way to get out of it if you have to 
And again, you're not your goal is not to go out there and lock up everything and just throw it all at the wall and see if one of them sticks. You you need to know what you're doing in order for your buyers to trust you. You can't be bringing them garbage. You have to make sure that you've done your hard work to to make sure that that it's a good deal that you're offering out there. So, but sometimes you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't work. I think there's only actually been two that I've had to let go. And yeah, we just um, I just went to them and said, you know, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out for whatever the reason was. One of them was because it was a condo, and the condo corporation was way they went way over budget on some uh, major repairs that they had to do. They had some structural damage to their underground parking, and so they were in debt. I can't remember what the numbers were, but it was going to take them. I think they had a six-year plan to get out of debt, which included raising everybody's condo fees to astronomical points where it didn't make sense to move in there if you didn't you know if you could choose somewhere else so it was little things like that and of course like that's something that I didn't know when I first locked it up and then you find out later and and it's not gonna work out so things happen and you need to be able to get out of it I mean again I'm not a lawyer but just check with them there's probably some good there's probably some good terms that you can have in your agreement. So I guess the one thing that stands out to me on that one slide is you got that for like 60 something thousand. Like yes. And then you know what? My uh my buyer put 30 grand into it and he sold it for 139.9. So that was a good deal for him, good deal for me, good deal for everybody. Better deal for him, but again, he knew what he was doing, right? He had the experience to go out and fix it where at the time I didn't. So I'd rather make 4 grand than nothing, but I think he did a little better on the deal than I did. And all he had to do was come to me, and then I just kind of handed it to him on a silver platter. He didn't have to go out and, and dig through all the calls and and go out and look at however. It was eight months, actually. This is something we never talked about before. From the time I started marketing to the time I did this first deal was eight months of constantly going out and looking at places and trying to find a good deal. And that was... Uh, the way that I do things now has changed quite a bit, but at the time there was a formula, and we'll get, we're going to go through that. And that was all I knew was it's got to fit into this formula, and it's a tough one to make properties fit into and to make them make sense for somebody who's going to buy them from you. Right, but 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 I think it's a good point because you know it, it shows people that are on the call where you know they they want to get into real estate investment. Maybe they don't have a lot of money and maybe they don't have the best credit that you can get into it using this 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 um, you know strategy. Yeah, like I mean, if I can if I can sell if I can buy a property with that flimsy, ridiculous one hundred dollar deposit, one page. The purchase and sale agreement. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you could do it too. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go through six steps to get this done from beginning to end. Step one is to advertise to your sellers and buyers. Step two is to identify a potential deal. Step three is analyze the deal and make sure that it works. Step four is get it under contract. Step five is market to buyers, and then assign the deal and collect your check. So for step one, advertise for sellers and buyers. You can 
do bandit signs or stickers, and this is one of my bandit signs. I took a picture of it for an article that I was writing. It's an 18 by 24 sign. I write them all, well, I'm looking into not doing this anymore, but honestly, for me at the beginning, it was it's pretty cheap. I think the signs themselves were about a buck fifty each. So then I just sat down on a Friday night with a with a drink and wrote them all out, right? And uh, <clears throat> and then you go out usually early in the morning and and put them out. Now there's all kinds of different regulations against these signs you have to more than likely I would imagine I've never looked into it you probably have to get permission from the city to actually put them out but my guess is that the answer is going to be no so I never bothered to ask I just put them out and when the city comes and takes them down I go out and I put out more again this is just this I've chosen to take that risk I don't exactly know what the punishment would be, but I've gotten a lot of nasty calls from the city um, telling me at different times to take them down or, um, you know, don't put them where I put them or whatever it is that I've done. So just be aware of that. And and for those, like, the, for these signs here, because, I mean, I used to put a lot of these signs up as well too, but not these particular signs that you've got here, Rob, but I used to do a lot of the rent-to-own ones. And I still have um, a lot of these signs that are still up in the in the city, but the only the one city that I found that didn't like it and that called me a lot was Whitby. Um, I didn't have any issues in, in Ajax, Oshawa, Curtis, or Bowmanville, but they do take them down. So it was, to oh, me, yeah. it was a cost of business. Yeah, and when I found when I put them up in Bowmanville, like I, I then like I'm not exaggerating. I feel like the city guys just sort of shadow me <laughs> and take them down right away because I drove through the next day and they were all gone. And the same with Whippy, I've had good Samaritans or whatever you'd like to call them. The guy called me up and said, hey Rob, I, I uh, hope you had fun putting these signs up because I'm driving around and I'm taking them all down right now. So there you go. What do you think <laughs> about that? Yeah, and you know what I used to do though? I used to do them on the, on the Friday evening. So yeah. that way I would get yeah. the full... Yeah, I do them all on a Saturday morning, and I used to run around and take them all down on Sundays, so I'd have them again, but you know what? Some of them still stay out. Like they, Most of them get taken away, but some of them can sit there for a while. So I've just decided I'll put them out, and I'll leave them, and yeah, it's a cost of doing business thing, right? Yeah, and I want to spend too much time in the slide, but that I used to do is I actually used to bring a little uh, ladder with me, and so I'd climb up on the ladder and then nail it up there, so those ones usually lasted a lot longer, but... Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yellow letters. So this is an example of a yellow letter. It just says your name. You'd like to buy their house at whatever the address is. Please give me a call at your number. And then you know I I don't put anything like you know call me right now for a cash offer. I just say you know if you're interested in selling, please call and I'll, I'll sign it. And um, another thing that I that I do is usually I'll, I'll leave like. A, you can photocopy a template. So what I did was on a white piece of paper, white lined piece of paper, you just write dear, leave it blank, and then down here just leave the address line blank and fill in all the rest. And then just get some blank yellow paper. I throw it in my printer. I print off 50 of them. So the only thing I have to do is just write in, you know, Gary, dear Gary, 
and then write Gary's address, 123 Fake Street, and uh, and then that's it. That's all I have to do for those. So it makes it a lot easier than writing the whole thing out by hand every time, right? So that's those. And they get a good response, yellow letters. Put them in an envelope. Uh, there's been a ton of research done on yellow letters. I didn't make it up. <laughs> this is tried and true. And um, basically, this is the template. This is what you want it to look like. This is the one that works. And put it in an envelope. Do not seal the envelope. Just tuck it in. And that's it. Put it in the mailbox or send it via mail. Okay, advertise on Kijiji for buyers and sellers. That's pretty straightforward. I've done quite a few deals off of Kijiji ads. You can door knock, but a lot of times you're just getting a renter or someone that maybe doesn't have the decision-making power. And sometimes people don't like your idea of why their house was a target for you. Like, well, you got a bunch of junk in the yard, so I thought that you, you know, you were a slob who didn't care about his place and might sell it to me cheap. I don't know. So that I, I don't like doing that. I've never done that. But I do drive around neighborhoods and look for signs of reasons why someone might want to sell, like those things I just said, garbage, long grass, um, broken windows, vacant properties, bad shingles, just the place in disrepair in some way or another where you look like you could add value to it. And talk to everyone and tell them that you're interested in buying houses. And that's another good way to go about it. So how to identify the deal. You want to make sure that the seller has some kind of motivation, that there's a reason why they want to sell. And whether it's the, 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 the owner is in distress or the property itself is in distress, there really, well, I shouldn't say there has to be, but nine times out of ten, that's the reason why somebody wants to sell for um, a price that makes sense for you to do deals like this and the other 10% is maybe just because they don't know and they're just done with it or they don't care and they just want to get rid of it but um, <clears throat> you want to make sure that they have some kind of motivation and yeah make sure you're talking to the decision maker for the property so find out what the seller is looking for make sure you get a price before you go running out because you can waste a lot of time going out and looking at places where the people is the people are in left field with their prices of what they want to get for it they might just be you know seeing if they can take advantage of you or if they can get more than what they would through real estate whatever it is like sometimes people think that they can do that or they just talk to real estate and they go well I don't think so I can get 30 grand more than that for sure for this place so so just find out what they want for it first. It's in your best interest. And there is a give and take. So if they want a specific date, let's say, then maybe you can work on the price a little bit more with them. Or if they're not going to give you the price that you need, maybe there's something else that they can throw in, like is there a car in the garage or a boat or I don't even know, whatever, S something that, that makes the deal make sense if it initially doesn't. So just try and be creative. Okay, <clears throat> so the next step is to analyze the deal. So who is your buyer? Are they are they just looking for a place to, like are they looking for duplexes to hang on to? Because that really is where I've found m most of my deals now. So I, I started out learning about 
Oh yeah, I didn't change these around like I said I was going to, Gary. So I'll go down to this. So this is how I learned how to do this. It was in today's market we got to use 80%. I mean, you can try and get lower, but basically you're looking for properties where you can buy them at 80% of the after repair value. You subtract what you think the repairs are and you subtract whatever you want to make out of it if it's 5 grand, 4 grand, 10 grand, whatever it is. That equals your buy price. So that's if you're trying to sell to someone that just wants to buy a property, fix it up, put it on MLS and sell it. And that's the that's the formula for that. But where I've found a lot of my value lately is networking with investors and just finding properties that make sense for them to buy and hold where I can just offer it to them for a little bit cheaper than they can off MLS and they're not competing with all the other people who are bidding these properties up through the roof right now. So, and and something I do too is I don't make people compete. Um, like I, I won't go to my buyers and say who's willing to pay me more than the last person's willing to pay me. What I do is I'll put it out there to my good buyers first and I have three or four, well I have four good buyers and so I'll put it out to them and I'll just say whoever wants this, first person that commits to it, they're the one that gets it. I don't go back and try and get more money from the other person and pit them against each other. But you can do it however you want. <laughs> so again, let's go back to now we can talk about the renovation cost because that's important. If you're going to try to present deals like this to guys who are fixing and flipping, you got to make sure that you know what you're talking about when it comes to how much the repairs are going to cost because, and don't kid yourself either just to make the numbers work. If there's repairs that need to be done, you've got to address them. Don't leave them out. If the air conditioner is broken, you've got to make sure that you let the person that's going to buy it know that or whatever the case may be. If there's a foundation leak, you've got to tell them. You have to create trust with your buyers, and if you don't, you're going to lose them awfully quick, just as quickly as they came. So also check out the highest and best use of the property because if you can add a second suite to it, that may change your after repair value numbers drastically. So or or whatever. If you can tear down a crappy old house and build an apartment building, who knows? But just check out what the zoning is and what the highest and best potential use of that property is. And submit offers. So they're not going to get accepted unless you put them out there. And if you've found a property that works, but there's like a little bit of a discrepancy between what you and the sellers are, you know, if the, let's say there's a $10,000 gap in where you need to be to buy the property and where the seller feels comfortable. Well, just submit the offer, put it on paper and send it to them because at least they have something that they can, you can call them and say, all right, look, I know we're in disagreement, but I've sent it to you. It's going to be in front of them now and, and that's a lot easier for them to sign than to call you back and say, you know what, I've changed my mind, all right, send something over. If they've already got it, it's a lot more tempting. So submit offers often, lots of them. So for step four, we're going to get the property under contract. So 
one of the important things that I've found that one pager that's a rare thing because most people are that seller didn't even take it to their to their lawyer she just she signed it on the spot and I gave her the hundred dollar deposit in cash and uh, but most people are going to take it to their lawyer and something like that the lawyer is going to look at and laugh and write out a proper purchase and sale agreement and and they're going to end up going with something like that anyway so it looks a lot more professional and people will take you a lot more seriously if you just use the proper contract right off the start keep your condition dates reasonable don't try to set close dates three or four months down the road like I mean you'll be able to you'll be able to feel out what the seller is thinking too if that's what they want then great but if you've got conditions for financing and you've got conditions for home inspection that kind of thing again when they take it to their lawyer their lawyer usually just changes it to the standard five days so yeah I mean you can try for a little bit more than that if you want but I guess it doesn't hurt go ahead and try for it but what I found is that their lawyers will change everything just so that it looks standard um, offer normal deposits you could try and offer a little bit less but generally I put one percent or so of the purchase price to the seller's solicitor and trust the same as you would through a real estate agent and, and you're because just giving them and you're just giving them a check right Rob is this payable to you know Mike it would be to the seller's lawyer and trust okay yeah, never to the seller. Never, ever, ever to the seller. Unless it's $100 cash and they're okay with that. Well, then I guess go ahead. Okay, yeah, so that's that. And like I said before, on that on that other one, I had the out clause subject to partner's approval. And you can put that in there. But again, um, those kind of things sort of those kind of things raise red flags and another thing that raises a red flag that some a lot of people um, that just start out wholesaling think that they need to put in there is when you're signing a contract and it says who the buyer is you just put your name you don't have to put and or assigns or any of that stuff because any contract is assignable unless it says in the contract that it is not assignable and that is a that is a legal thing not a real estate thing. It's any contract. Does that make sense, Gary? No, that makes uh, full sense. Okay, so um, what I usually use as an out clause now is just um, my home inspection clause, right? So again, like I say, you're not out to just tie up a bunch of people's houses and and potentially, you know hold them up from selling it to someone who's actually going to close if you're not fully intending on uh, deciding that it's a good deal and sending it out to your to your buyers so what I will normally do is <clears throat> just use my home inspection clause as you know my clause my out clause so if uh, if for any reason I can't sell it to a buyer in that five or six days I'll know that it's not a good enough deal right if it's a good deal someone that I know will snatch it up right away and if they're not interested it's probably because it's not a good deal and you need to look at it again you may think it is 
but it probably isn't if, if um, your buyers aren't interested in it. Also, you know, talk to them and ask them why they're not interested if that is the case. Maybe you're just talking to the wrong type of buyers, who knows. But um, so that, uh, that home inspection clause will just give you a note. You know, you can just say, I'm not happy with it because of pick A, B, C, whatever it is on that home inspection that you didn't like. And, and uh, Rob, so you've been talking about buyers a couple, uh, you know, so, times throughout the night. Um, where is the best place? Where have you been finding your buyers? And I think that's probably obviously an important piece, right? Right. I have found 75% of my buyers at uh, networking events and um, real estate investing clubs and that kind of thing. One or two I've gotten from the signs that you put up because when you put out signs that say I buy I you know I buy houses or whatever they say investors uh, fix and flip guys they'll call you and they'll want to be on your list so I found one of my good buyers that way but the majority of them is all from networking so here is an example of an assignment of contract so I'm I'm proud of this one I actually made nine grand on this one and this one was just last October. So I don't know if you guys want to take a screenshot of that. You can go ahead. And this is just what it says. So it says that, you know, the person agrees to purchase the contract that I have tied up, my purchase and sale agreement. The end buyer is purchasing that contract from me for this price. And then you get paid from that buyer's lawyer on closing. So when you're trying to assign the deal you want to show your investors through the property and show them that you've done your due diligence and that you've done all the legwork and make it really easy for them to make up their minds that they want to buy it and if it fits that formula that I showed you for fix and flip buyers then you're gonna have no problem and if you're just if you know a bunch of just buy and hold investors it, like I said if they can get something under market value even if it's even if it's five or ten percent below market value, then they're going to be happy with that. At least that's what I've found, anyways. So those kind of people you can um, you can help too. So like I said, I do a first come first serve. I don't try to get it bid up. I just say this is my price on this one, and it depends on the spread, what your fee is going to be. I mean, it's not an exact science for me. I just go, wow, this one's a really good deal, so I'm going to ask for nine grand on this one. And that's what I got. If the person doesn't want it, then you move on to the next one and uh, try to sell it to them. But so if you've got all your, if you've got everything in order, then you're going to build trust with those buyers and they're going to be able to make up their minds easy and they're going to be excited and they're going to be calling you and saying, where's my next deal? Like uh, several calls that I get almost every day. And the deals are hard to find. That's why I called it needle in a haystack because it, this is not easy. You've got to. There's a lot of work involved in trying to find something that that makes sense for your investors. Obviously, I mean, some people do it. I don't really see the value in this, but some wholesalers actually will will use MLS. I guess just for those investors that are way too lazy to turn on their computer and look for themselves. I don't really know, but for the most part your investors are going to want off-market deals, not something that they can just go look up themselves. So there's a lot of work involved in all of this. 
And step five is assign the deal and collect your check. So that was an example back there of the assignment contract. So remember too that if you've put down on that one actually I didn't do that. This one there, I had a separate agreement for the amount of money that I put down for the deposit and I think it was two thousand dollars on this one. So I got that back as well but it was on a separate agreement that I had with the uh, with the guy who bought this from me. So don't forget that too because you're going to be putting down your deposit and you need to get that back as well. Okay, we already went over that. Um, a few times I've just had, so what I've done, what sometimes some of my buyers like to do is they'll write up their own contract and I won't assign them the contract, but we still use the same form. So in other words, once I have it tied up and I go to them, they'll say I would like to use my own contract, the one I use every time my lawyer understands that we all understand that I want to use mine. So then I go fine, call the, call the uh, seller, say look we're gonna, me and my partner now are going to put in um, a different offer and it's gonna be in their name, but everything's gonna be the same and it's just gonna have their name instead. And so, you know, I've never had anybody have a problem with that. They say, okay, and we send in the new one, and then I still just use that assignment of contract uh, paperwork and get paid on close with that as well. And then go to Disneyland and spend your money or whatever it is that you're going to do with it. And that's it. So I guess we're going to do some questions now, right? All right, great. Thanks a lot, Robert. We appreciate that. All right, so I got a question here from Sue. So her question is, how do you determine the price you're going to buy your deal for? Well, like I said, it really – so she probably missed the beginning of it. But what you really want to do is, depending on who if – you're, if you're doing a traditional – wholesale deal to somebody that's just going to fix up the property and sell it. So the formula that you would use in the market today, now you can try and you can try and change it up a little bit, but I've sort of modified this because we're in such a hot market, I guess, right now, is you want to buy it for 80% of the after repair value, then you want to subtract out what it's going to cost to repair the property and also subtract out what you want to make on it. And repairs are going to include closing, carrying, and all that. right? So you want to factor in repairs, closing, carrying, whatever you want to make out of the property, and, is, and, and is, that'll be your buy price. And is there a rule of thumb that you use, Rob, when you you know when you're trying to factor in your repair costs so let's say now you get a quote and the quote is twenty thousand dollars to you know repair this property are you adding an extra twenty percent on top of that no you just no. gonna go with that number I mean well I've done like I've now I've done enough of my own that I can pretty accurately uh, figure out what it's gonna cost to fix up that property to a reasonable state and and the person's going to agree with me most of the time I would say so I'm not going to add anything that wouldn't 
<laughs> that wouldn't help me out any. But I'm I'm fair, you know, I'm reasonable. I, I know what it's gonna cost to fix it up and I know what I know what my buyers are looking for. I know what level they're gonna fix them up to. So I just keep that in mind and I'll base my repair costs on that. So you trust your yeah. team then. So you've got a good team, you, you know um what, what they're what, what they're capable of. Well, I mean, I, I know I I can estimate my own my own repair costs, so that's what I would do. I would just say um I would just say I know that this is going to cost fifteen grand to fix it up to where where someone that's going to buy this from me is going to want to want it to be at for sale on MLS. Okay, cool. All right, I got another question here from Dave. So, were were your letters dropped to a specific house, or um, did you just blanket like a neighborhood? Uh, I've tried blanketing streets before and I don't really get any response that way so really the targeted letter dropping works best um, what I normally do is if I'm driving around dropping off letters I will put one in the mailbox and I will also write down the oh we didn't talk about that Gary so what I'll do is I'll write down the address so drop the letter in the mailbox because you don't know if renters live there. You don't know if the owner's going to end up with that letter in their hands. So write down the address, and then you can go into the city, and this is pretty much any city. So in the GTA, there's several different places where you can go and do this. You'll have to look it up. Just look up tax assessment roll lookup, and in Oshawa, it's right at City Hall. And, and I just go in there and sit down at the kiosk for the tax assessment roll lookup, and you can type in the address of the property. And it will tell you everything. It will tell you the tax assessed value. It will tell you the um, the owner of the property. It will tell you everything that you want to know, but it will also tell you the owner's mailing address. So if it's different from the property address, you'll have that address to send the letter to. And that's what I do. Okay, great. Okay, question from Adrian. Um, so where do we acquire the ARIA contract? Can anyone fill one out? Don't you need to be a realtor? Hey, Adrian, how's it going, man? I mean, for what it's worth, I haven't had any problem with it. I don't know. Again, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the answer to that question, but I've used it, and I've never had a problem. If it makes you, you know, I would say just use it. I don't think you're going to run into any problems, but again, contact your uh, lawyer and see what the proper way to do things is. Yeah, and my understanding of it is that you could just go ahead and use it, right? Because you're going to use a lawyer anyways to close the uh, close that deal for you. So right. I don't see I don't see any issues with it whatsoever, right? Because you you can sell your home privately, so that'll yeah, be sure. fine. Okay. And yeah, you can just look it up online. You can find a blank one online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got a question from Rory. Um, where did you get the assignment of contracting? Can you share? Uh, sure, I can send that to Gary. Okay. Yeah. So if anybody this, that one was actually the one that I that I just showed there. I, I would say almost every single one of them has been different, and most of the time they've been provided by um, my buyer actually. So that one is a good one though. You can, like I said, just take a screenshot of that and type it out if you want to. Yeah, so you know what, Rob? Yeah, just send me a copy, 
And I just sent everybody my email address. So if anybody wants a copy of that, just uh, send me an email, and then I'll send it off to them. Okay. I'll just write that down. Any more questions there? Uh, yeah, i got a couple more. Um, question here from Irene Owl. Do you inspect a property with a contractor to know how much it would cost? To repair? Uh, yes. No, I just do it myself. But um, at the beginning, I can't remember where I got it, but you can look online. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. There's just um, there's aids to help you figure out how much the repairs are going to be. And, it'll, and the one that I had, I think it just said, you know, flooring, and it gave you a low-end flooring amount per square foot, and it gave you a median, and it gave you a high. And then, you know, with you have to be able to go in and decide, okay, at which level am I fixing it up to, and then take the repair costs from that. So if you feel like, you know, the living room floor needs to be replaced, figure out the size, it'll give you an average price for, for flooring to do uh, mid-level repairs. Uh, along with like whatever else, I can't I can't remember where I got it, but I don't use it anymore. I just I estimate it myself just because I've I've done enough now that I can I have a good idea of what it's going to cost. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, here's a good question from Mike. I don't think we actually even talked about this one before. Um, how long are you in and out of a deal on average? It really depends. Lately, lately I've been in them for. If I'm understanding the question correctly, it's when by the from the time I get it under contract to the time it actually closes. So right. I mean, most time it's it's between a month and like as long as four months, really. But you know what? It's nice to uh, look forward and know that that money's coming in in a few months. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're doing two kind of two different things right now, right? So you're still assigning them and giving them to your to your buyers, but then you're also now keeping these deals for yourself as well too and you know what partnering up with a, with another investor, correct? Yes, yes I am. And I'll I'll talk about that here oh, okay. like that, that's okay, what cool. this is all about right here at the end. Uh, I can go into that if you want, but no I... no, no problem. So you know what, Let, let's let's uh, answer one more question. Um, and then we'll jump into that question there. Okay, so from Lucas, have you ever come across any problematic customers, deals, or situations? I think we actually talked about that one yesterday too. You know, not too many. Really, the biggest issue for me has been it's kind of awkward when you go and look at a place and then you tie it up under contract and then you go, you call the seller back and you say, I'd like to bring a partner through. And then you bring that partner through, and they're not interested in it. And then you call them back and say, "I'd actually like to bring somebody else through it." So, I mean, really, that's the only thing. And sometimes it—it's kind of awkward. I mean, most time, what I do is I say, "Look, I'm going to buy this place. I'm—I'm I'm going to try to bring in a partner on it because I'd really like to partner if I can. I want to keep on buying properties, and the way to do that is get partners on them. So, usually." they're tolerant of a couple, but no more than that. You know what I mean? It's It starts to get a little bit sticky if you've brought <laughs> two or three people through and then try for more. So 
I've done lots of creative things anyways, and we always get the deal done. And you know what? Let me tell you something. In my opinion, the people that I'm buying properties from are happier than, like, I've talked to so many real estate agents who have unhappy clients after they sell their house. And I don't know, like, all of the people that I've dealt with are happy. They just had, for the most part, a very smooth, easy close, and that's what they're looking for, and that's what I give them. And so they're happy. Like no one that I've ever bought from is not happy. And, and I think you know what it is, Rob. The reason why, and I'm, and I'm going to probably go out on a limb here and say this, is probably because you're not a salesperson, right? No, so, I'm not. Right, exactly. So you, so, so you, you are generally trying to help these people on both sides, on the person that's selling their home and and the investor that's looking to to get a good deal, right? So it's gonna it's gonna be a win-win on both sides. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I could go into this story for a long time, but there was one place that I, that I uh, assigned out in Ajax, and this seller, I made it my personal mission. I had people, like this was months and months of work to get this one done, and there was a rent-to-own buyer in the property, so it was really complicated, but it was the, the whole thing was just a gigantic mess, and I, I was able to... I was able to help this guy get his property back and then be able to sell it to us and get out of this mess that the tenant buyers were destroying the property and then saying that it was worth less than what he wanted for it and it was just a it was a it was a nightmare so I really helped that guy and there was a lot of there was a lot of people that actually said to me why are you wasting all your time with this this seems like a ridiculous thing to do but I <laughs> I was determined to help him. So that was fun, and I'm really proud of that. All right, and then what's this here now, Rob? This is this a deal that uh, you want to kind of go through? Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, – where is it here? So this is an actual – this is the last five fix refi and rent property deal that I did. So this one's actually done. These are the actual numbers, uh, what we bought it for, what we put into it. And then, so I mean, I'll just go through it real quickly here. We bought the place for two forty-three-five. Okay, so there was, um, so I had an investor bring in all the money. So uh, he put in the down payment, closing costs, paid me a deal fee for finding the deal, and then we put in twenty-one thousand eight hundred dollars in repair costs, and we put a legal basement suite in the in in into this place. So his initial investment was $83,807, and then we got it reappraised at $340,000. So he got all of his money back except for $7,407. And then we just share a property that cash flows every month. So you can see the cash flow is $299. And that's after all of the, like, that's not, you know, that's after property management, maintenance, all of that stuff, that's straight cash flow, two ninety nine a month. So as you can see, this is the ideal deal. And actually, the one that I did before this one, the investor was in it for a zero. I actually pulled all of his money back out of it. Uh, I was hoping to do that again with this one, but I didn't. So again, like I'm the reason why I'm showing this is because I'm looking for investors to invest in deals. Um, obviously, <laughs> this guy wants to uh, go and do another one. So 
I'm, but I'm I really want to ramp things up, and I'm trying to I, I I'm still driving a truck, Gary. I still work uh, for a construction equipment rental company, and my goal is to get out of that job by September. So I mean, if I keep finding deals like this, I don't think that'll be hard. But so that's why the opportunity that I wanted to share with anyone who and I understand that we're on the call with a lot of investors and obviously you guys can answer this question but the investors that I have in the past presented deals to and of course you know I'm presenting them with my projected numbers not the real numbers which are right here a lot of times I've gotten a response of, well, why, why do I need you? Like, what can you do? I can just go and do this myself. And, I mean, the truth is that if they could, they would. And, and I appreciate anyone that can go out and do this. But um, there is a skill involved. And so what I'm offering here is a chance for anyone who wants to JV on a buy, fix, refi, and rent project like this to come in and go through the entire process with me from beginning to end and stay in the deal after of course and, and own the property together. We'll go through the buy process, we'll go through the putting in the basement suite and legalizing it, going through um, all of what it takes to, to get that through with the city and the fire code and then you know right through to property management how to run the business and so I think it's pretty good idea for somebody who hasn't done anything like this before. I mean, they're only getting half of the cash flow, I guess, but really, <laughs> you know, there's not many people that can say they bought a $340,000 house for uh, 7400 bucks. So that's my proposal, and if anyone's interested in that, you can get a hold of me. Uh, there's my all right, great. Thanks, Rob. And uh, hey, listen, you know what? Where you are right now, I, I know where you are, and you know what? You're on track to actually, I'm sure, you know, hit that uh, that September mark. So you're definitely going in the right direction. Um, so so keep up the good work. And uh, how can people get a hold of you? Is it just right here? This is the best way, Rob? Yep, yep. Just by. email me or give me a call. There's my phone number and there's my email address. Either one of those works fine. All right. um, and you know what? Even if you're not interested in uh, in in doing something like that, if there's any questions about what we've talked about here tonight, or um, or you just want to, I don't know, talk about investing, feel free to give me a call or an email. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff, so I'm always up for good conversation. Great, and and you know what? And I think Oshawa is just a really fantastic place right now to be doing these type of uh, type of deals. Um, there's one that me and Chris are currently working on in Oshawa. We picked it up in around January, and um, and, and it's you know what? It's been a lot of fun to kind of see the the process from from beginning to kind of where we are right now. Um, we probably got a couple more months until we're completely done, but um, it's it's a good learning experience. And, uh, and to be able to, to do those kind of deals and to, um, you know, be able to kind of extract and pull your money out in, in, and be left with only a few thousand dollars left in the property, um, you know, your return on your investment is incredible. And that's when I was looking at that one slide, and I'm sure some people look at that and they, and they see the ROI number, Rob, and they're like, those numbers don't even make any sense. And, and I know we were talking about that, but, you know, I think it's good to keep those numbers in there because those numbers are real. Like those are actual true return on your investments. Those are the actual numbers. And uh, and uh, for anyone that's interested, I can send you 
like so I just took these I just took those right out of my spread shows everything um, but I mean that's based on a three percent appreciation and I think everyone knows that based on the past actual appreciation is really more around the six percent mark so this is based on uh, the one that I put over here in the red is based on three percent appreciation rate but you can see that even if it's zero you're still getting 153% return on investment. And another thing that I should point out is the re the way that you reach the um, that's an overall return on investment, right? So that's taking into account the mortgage reduction amount right here, along with the cash flow, right, to get the total monthly profit of 875. All right, great. But if anyone wants to talk about that again, we can. And uh, yeah. All right, perfect. All right, so yeah, maybe just look at that last slide then. So yeah, if anybody wants to get a hold of Rob, that's his number there. There's his um, his email address, all right? And we've got another event coming up close to the end of this month here, May 27th. Um, we've got more, which is uh, the Mothers of Real Estate. So we got Rachel, Monica, and, uh, and Shannon coming out to share their story. I actually um, had a chance to sit down with Shannon earlier today. We actually did a podcast together. Um, so that's going to be coming out in about another month or so. So that, that was actually a really fun uh, interview. But you'll get a chance to see her live in the flesh. So if you can, come out to that event. You're going to, um, I think, get a ton of great information from those three. And then also that night, um, we've got um, Jeanette Wade coming out from the Landlord and Tenant Board. Um, let me tell you, it's difficult sometimes to get somebody to come out from the Landlord and Tenant Board, especially in the evening. So um, so we actually got uh, Jeanette to come out. So it's going to be a fun night. If you haven't registered yet, go to our website, uh, just at the bottom there, smarthomechoice.ca, to register and grab your seat now. That's all that I've got. Um, uh, you know what? I think we got maybe time for maybe two more questions. Rob, you, you cool with that? I got a couple more questions pouring in. Um, so so let's, I'll, I'll grab two and then uh, and then we'll call it a night. That sounds sounds like a plan. Sure, sounds good to me. Okay, cool. All right. So this next question that I've got here is from Tom. So it says a joint venture. Um, the investors bringing in the capital um, are both are on title. Or sorry, are both on title? I think that's what you're trying to say, Tom. There's no there's no set structure, right? It can be whatever we work out or whatever you would work out with your um, with your other investor. But the way that I've done it in the past is that uh, the the investor is actually on title. But I have recently got myself into a position where I can qualify again, so that's that's opened up some uh, other choices for me recently too. So, I mean, it's really it's really whatever you work out with whoever it is that you're talking to. There's no, there's nothing set in stone, right? All right, perfect. All right, and one last question from Michelle. How many offers do you submit before you get a deal? I'm pretty good at weeding out my my calls. Like I know if they're time wasters pretty quickly. I would say three quarters of the offers that I put out turn into deals. Now, that being said, I should probably follow more of my own advice and put out more offers. I think that I could do better if I did. But uh, recently I've sort of ramped it up and started doing that. And <laughs> I guess if I'm looking at more recently, it's probably one in six or seven. Yeah, and I think that's a good number because I know 
when I first started, and especially with Rentona, my numbers were probably closer to like, you know, one out of a hundred. Um, and then as I got better with it, and then as I understood the questions to ask and understood which ones were wasting my time and which ones were serious, I probably got it down to around one out of ten. Are you talking about leads or are you talking about offers? I'm, I'm talking about no, I'm talking about people that are coming in that I'm talking to. Yeah, so, right? so I guess you can say. Like, the way that I understood the question was she was saying how many of my offers, like if I was to actually put an offer on the table. So you're sending out. Okay. I, I would say about one in seven of my offers gets accepted. But I don't, I'm not putting offers out to everybody, right? Like I'm putting offers out to, yeah, one in one in 80 people that call or something like that, you know? Right. Okay. And then are you embarrassed when you, uh, when you make an offer with the price that you're, you're asking? Yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> I mean, that's what they say, right? But I want it to be win-win for everybody. Yeah. Um, I would say that that doesn't hurt as long as you open up the dialogue with the seller with something like, you know, you understand what I'm doing with the property, so let's agree to work on this until we come to a deal. Set it out that way so that they don't just look at your first ridiculous offer and, and, and throw it in the garbage and they'll call you back. You know what I mean? Yep. So you should offer low. I mean, don't go, don't go crazy. Like, try to make it make sense. As long as it makes sense, you should have no problem paying for it what you're getting. I mean, and the truth is, if you're going to assign it to somebody else, you don't need to steal it from that person. If, if, like, the offer is what it is, and the deal is what it is. And if it's good enough for someone to buy from you, you're only going to make, like, maybe you're going to make a couple of extra bucks if it's a, if it, if it's a deal that's, like, going to blow your investor out of the water. But most of those savings are going to be passed on to your end buyer, not to you. So just try and get the deal locked up. Better to do more deals and make three grand than less and make, you know, four. No, that's a good point. Okay, so that's it for tonight. Um, th there's just one other thing that I do want to say, Rob, uh, and this is from Lucas. And he says, uh, thanks for your time this evening, guys. The expertise on this subject matter was really insightful. So, Rob, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate your time tonight. Um, I hope everybody on the call got some good information and good insight um, from from Rob's uh, experience and, and his knowledge on, on wholesaling. So I think Rob's a fantastic guy, and, and I think, you know, if you, if you get a chance to meet with him and, and maybe potentially even do a deal with him, I think you'll you'll see that he is a man of his word. So, so Rob, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Gary, for having me. No problem. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night.